We're going to be in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1 again. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis chapter 1, talking about the Imago Dei or the image of God. It's often referred to as the Imago Dei. Uh, that's the doctrine. Uh, but we're, we're talking about the doctrine of the image of God and what that means. Let me just tell you this. Without the teaching of the image of God, without understanding the image of God, you have no basis for human rights. You have no basis for believing that immigrants uh, or illegal immigrants or people not of this country should be treated well. Without the doctrine of the image of God, you, do, you have no basis for this. There's, there's nothing. If science is our ethic, if science is, is all that there is, science does not exert any type of purpose towards the person, towards the individual. And so what we have to come up with is what we have to understand is that on some level we believe that humanity matters. On some level we believe that children in the womb should not be killed. That people who are involved in human trafficking and sex slavery should not be put into that position. But where is the basis for our belief in this? We have a deeply held belief that people of all races should be cared about. We have a deeply held belief that human rights matter. And when we see human rights being stepped on, and when we see dictators uh, killing people right and left, we can say that that is wrong. But if our only ethic is based on science, we have no basis to be able to say that. We have no basis to be able to say that. And that's towards other people. We also have no basis to say that we matter. We have no basis to be able to say that my life matters, that the things that I do matter, that, that, that somehow my life has meaning and purpose and dignity and value. And our world would have you believe that you can grant to yourself self-esteem, self-image, that you can give yourself what you need. You have in yourself all that you need. There's, there, there's a, you know, a Whitney Houston song or whatever that, that's talking about this. And, and it's, it's, it's speaking to the idea that, that, that these people have value and you have value and you can make a difference. There's so many different teachings today. There's Christian teachings, so-called Christian teachings. I would say that they're not Christian teachings. I would say that they're teachings from Satan himself, to put it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> Not very lightly, right? But there are people today that claim to be Christians, and there are so-called Christian publishers that are putting out books that say, ultimately, who you are and how you motivate yourself and what you get done in your life is, is the most important thing. And so you should just kick butt in life. You should make things happen and what have you. But it's completely divorced from... The doctrine of the Imago Dei, the doctrine of the image of God. It's completely divorced from that. And so it doesn't really talk about glorifying God. It talks about glorifying self. Here's how to make yourself successful. If you have enough faith, 
If you have enough trust and hope in God, if you give this much money, then, you, then you're going to have value. Then you're going to have these things, and you'll sense that value. If you just do these things, and you work out enough, and you uh, take care of yourself, and what have you. My wife was telling me about mom boss or mommy boss, some, something like this. I don't know what it is, but it's women who are in control of their surroundings and, and making money for themselves and things like this. And it's completely divorced from who God is. It's completely divorced. Without the Imago Day, we have no basis for self-image or self-esteem. And what's happening is this, is that as we look at this mirror that we have in our pockets, we look at the mirror and we look at the Facebook, which by the way is, a, is like looking in a mirror. And we're sitting here and we're, we're saying, do I have value, do I have value, do I have value? Do you like my post, do you share my post? Do you, do you think what I say is relevant or cool or funny? We look at a mirror and we say, and we're, we're constantly looking to others and we're looking to ourselves and we're saying, do I have value? Does social media show me that I have value? And it's no wonder that suicide rates are skyrocketing. As stated in The Atlantic a while back through an incredible article that talks about how something changed in 2007 that set off this chain reaction and now suicide rates are increasing massively. And especially in kids. I was driving my son to school the other day. We don't allow our kids to have phones. I'm not saying that everybody should do that. We have people, good people in our church that allow their kids to have phones. But uh, regardless, we don't allow our kids to have phones yet. But we're driving down the street. My son says, that kid goes to my school. He's staring at his phone, walking down the street, going to school. I dropped my son off. I came back. I came back to, uh, to the house. I passed this... Uh, child again, still walking down the street looking at his phone 20 minutes later. And I just, I, I, I'm just kind of wondering, like, how in the world can this possibly be good for us? As we navel gaze, as we look at ourselves, as we're looking for other people to say, you have dignity, worth, and value because I've liked your post, and I like the things, I like the things that, you, that you do and who you are. But when nobody likes us and nobody, or nobody likes us and nobody reposts or nobody does these things, perhaps you're not even in this world, that's okay, some of you are. But when, when, when nobody does, there can be a deep sense of, I don't matter. I'm not valued. People don't think that I'm worth anything. And here's the thing, all of these things are tied together. The suicide rates today and the rates of depression and, and things of that nature. And d depression can be biological, by the way, but I don't think every case is biological. D depression is very much uh, brought about through our world and the way that it is. So our self-image, our image of other people, how we value life. I mean, think about the, the, the brutality that exists on, online with kids taking videos of other kids beating kids up or making fun of them or what have you. Think about the lack of value and dignity and worth that's going on. And yet our world is continually screaming about this, and yet our world has no answer. I was listening to a podcast the other day that pointed out the fact we have more information 
more access to information than we've ever had. You can look up at any time anything that you want on any diagnosis that you need to. You can find tools and tips and all kinds of things to make yourself a better person. You can do anything that you want and try to figure anything out and learn all kinds of things. And yet our society has never been in a worse position than it is today. I, I believe that. I believe that. Why? Why is that? Because increased information does not bring us to a greater understanding of self, greater understanding of who we are created to be. Tim Keller quotes uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in, uh, in a sermon um, of his, and he says this, uh, you see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected, an ability uh, to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness, worth, and dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations of the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. And then he goes on to quote G.K. Chesterton who says this, as a politician, the secular person will cry out that all war is a waste of life and then as a philosopher admit that all life is a waste of time. The secular person goes first to a political meeting where he complains the natives are being treated as if they were beasts. Then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that all human beings are actually beasts. You think about the juxtaposition that we're in and our, our world just saying these things back and forth where one political party values the immigrant, the illegal immigrant, and then the other party simply just devalues the immigrant and values the unborn. Both of them are right and wrong at the same time. At the same time. Think about how confusing that is. Why would we bring these things up? Some, some of you may still be pushing back on this idea of bringing politics or these ideas into a sermon. But what we want to communicate here at Outward Church is not that you should choose a political party. It is that you should serve the king of kings. It's, it's that you should be different, wholly set apart for the work of God as an image bearer of God and communicating his word to our world. And we do that by valuing life even when it's inconvenient for us. Even when we're with another race that sometimes can make us feel uncomfortable. That may take advantage of us even, or at least we could perceive that they're taking advantage of us. Even when it's inconvenient to have a child, that we should uphold this idea of the image of God. Let's look at this uh, together. I want to talk about what does it say, what does it mean, and then uh, um, I forgot. What does it say, what does it mean, uh, why do we reject it, and how do we apply it? It says here in Genesis 1:26 through verse 31, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with, its, with, its, uh, with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on, on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now last week what I told you is this, is that Genesis chapter one is a polemic. It's an argument against the creation stories of that day. It is written to Israel. It's, it's written to them for, to help them understand what truly is. We talked about some uh, creation theories uh, and things like that and, and, and how we get so caught up in the how instead of the who and the what and the why. And so what he's talking about is he's talking about, hey, this is the God that we serve. Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God, this is the one. He's the one who created all things. A few things about the, the verses that come just prior to this. What we said was this, is that in the beginning, uh, it's talking about how the earth was formless and void. And how the rest of this chapter, for the mo most part, or in fact, for the rest of this chapter, is talking about forming and filling the earth. The first three days are about forming the earth. It's forming the earth. It's, it's, it's creating those kinds of things. And then it's uh, bringing life into the earth in the uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth day. And so repeatedly it says, and God said, let there be. And God said, let, let the earth. And God said, let there be lights and, and things like that. And let the waters and all of this. But then when you get to verse 26... When you get to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the author, Moses, of Genesis is wanting you to see something. This author is wanting you to see that this is different. This is set apart. This is a different type of creation. It's, it's not saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. It's now God is fully involved. And then God said, let us make man in our image. What is it saying right here? It's saying that there's something different. It's showing that there is some significance to this creation over all of the other created things. There is something incredible about this. Furthermore, if you look at the fact that it is plural right there, then God said, let us us make man in our image after our likeness this is trinitarian language the trinity is what god exists as god the father god the son god the holy spirit this is god in his fullness so there's this sense in which there is community right in there in what's called the godhead 
This is who God is. And so God says, let us make man in our image. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are all uh, involved in the idea of creating something that is in their image. So what is it saying? It's saying that God is deeply involved. He's deeply connected to uh, his creation right here and right now. So what is it saying? It's saying that God is involved in his creation in a new and different way and in a way that should awaken our minds to see that this is incredibly important. Like it's incredibly important. So he, he says, so then we look at this. What does it mean? What exactly does this mean? Take a look at it again. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. There's another uh, part to this. And then he says, God bless them uh, and, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does it mean? It means this. It means that God created something in his image. Now, the word image there is the same word that is used for idol, like an idol that is worshipped in the Old Testament. God is saying on some level, and this is a little bit controversial, but it's if you're going to translate the word the same way, it would be like God saying, I'm going to make little idols of myself, little replicas of myself. I am going to make these little statues of myself. If you remember from Daniel, the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, it talks about how uh, the king sets up this great image of himself on the plain of Dura, and he tells everyone to come worship, and then God's guys don't bow down and worship, and he's saying, you've got to bow down and worship my image, and they say, oh, king, we're not doing it, and so he tries to end their life. But it's the same word. It's the same word that it's, this is an image of this king. And so what many commentators will talk about is they'll say that in that day, a king would have a vast area that he would be overseeing, and he can't be in all places at all times. But to set up a reminder of who he is, he would put a statue, a dead and lifeless statue, an image in a particular city. And he would, uh, it would be a display of him. And it would be a display of the fact that his power rules over this area, that he is in control of this type of place. What does it mean? It means this. It means that this is a term that's used for this image or this idol or this reflection of who is making it. It's, it's an image of that person. It's an image of, of them. And so what, what does this idea of being created in the image of God actually mean? Well, it means that in some very significant ways, you and I share some qualities that God has. One of those is ultimately this, that God is a community. He exists as a community. We talked last week about how you have God the Father, God saying, and God said, let there be light, and, and so on. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then John chapter 1, verse 1 talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him. Without Him was not anything made that has been made. 
So Jesus is, is there as well. So you have this God who exists as a community. He exists as a community. But then secondly, what could uh, um, bolster that idea is this. Look at this little poem in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's this idea that relationally and communally and corporately, we are imaging this God who lives in community. God created us for community. He created us to be a part of him. This is to replicate or to reveal or to show who this God is when we live in community. One of the things that we know is that when people live outside of the community, when they live as outcasts, when kids do not have parents or anyone to watch them, oftentimes they will die. We were made for community. We were made to live relationally with one another. That is also why it says he has made them male and female. And that both together are showing the image of God. It's not one or the other. Both of them have dignity, worth, and value. We've both been created in the image of God. And, and truly, together, we image him more successfully, more completely, when we are together. Think about what's going on in our world right now. You have the Me Too movement, where women have not been valued. They've been cast aside and used and abused in so many different ways. And then you have folks on the other side of that argument that in an overreaction to that are denigrating the male race. It's racism in a sense on some level. And I'm not saying that the other side hasn't been denigrated as well. But when you look at this and you see the idea that he has created us all in the image of God. And so therefore, we should, and we're going to talk more about roles later, how men should be, uh, should be people who are coming to the aid of women and supporting them and lifting them up and honoring them as sisters in Christ and things of that nature. But the truth is this, is that we both corporately, communally, uh, replicate, we reveal, we show, we image who this God is. There's another piece to this as well. When he talks about, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't know if you could be any more specific than that. I don't know if you could be any more clear with what this is saying, but it is saying this, that humanity, man, is created in the image of God above all things. Nothing else has been created in the image of God. Only man and woman has been created in the image of God. And then the other thing is this, is that there is a functional, there is a delegated responsibility that God has given to humanity to have and possess uh, dominion, that is authority or rule, over all of the earth, over all of creation. Now, there's some other implied things in there, like we are called to care for our 
earth. We don't get to do whatever we want. We are not the ones who are ultimately in charge. We represent the creator. There are some implications of creation care in there, which I hope to get to in this series. But what it's saying is this, is that we are God's representatives. We are here to express dominion and authority and rule over God's creation. And so that means that we have a delegated responsibility from God. But then there's a procreative or procreation, um, which is in verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion again. But he's saying to uh, man, he's blessing them. And to bless is to give a role. God blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. So God is delegating responsibility to man. And he's saying, you have the responsibility of being fruitful and multiplying. And there's many people in our church that have taken that very seriously. Very seriously, including myself. I have four kiddos. It's like, it's, it's like the outward number of kids. you got to have four uh, kind of a thing. But we, I also recognize that there are people who are... Uh, dealing with infertility, and so this is a sad moment for you, and so I just want to recognize that. So what do we do with that? That's hard, isn't it? Sin has damaged so many things. It's damaged reproductive issues as well. But God has given us the responsibility to express dominion. God has given us responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. God has given us responsibility uh, to do these things. What does it mean? It means ultimately that we are a reflection of God. That we're a reflection of God and we are a representation of God. Now, Tim Keller in his sermon, he talks about the idea of uh, the idea of a statue or something doesn't really get at the heart of what it means to be an image bearer. And so he uses this word reflection, I think, really effectively as he talks about a mirror. That in some, in some respects, we are a mirror. And so we are to reflect the glory of God. We're to reflect who he is. We're to ref reflect his light. Think about in Scripture how often it talks about the light in John 1, 4, it's talking about how he is, uh, in him is life, and, and his life is the light of men. It's that, it's that Jesus is the one who is the life, and he's the one that gives us light. He's the one that enables us to reflect his goodness. But what's happening in our world today, all of the problems that I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, what's wrong with those? Why can we point at human trafficking and say, that shouldn't happen? Why can we point at those things and say, this shouldn't be, this is not the way that it should be? Why can we point at those things? Or why do we? Well, here's what happens. I'll give away a little bit of what's coming here shortly. But chapter 3, it gets rough. And Adam and Eve sin. And what happens as a result of that sin? is that the image of God becomes distorted in us. Sin is always a distortion of the image of God in us. Sin is always a distortion of the image of God in us, in you and me. When we sin, what we're saying as an image bearer 
is that I, as a representative, am lying about the true and living God, and I'm showing something else that is not true of him. So we're lying about who God is as an image bearer. See, sin is like a funhouse mirror. It's all warbly and, and goes back and forth, and it's, it's weird. It's, it, there, it's, it's like it's still there, but it's a distortion of that. Now, all of humanity has been created in the image of God, and all of humanity, Christian or not, people who confess Jesus Christ as Lord or not, all people everywhere for all time have been created in the image of God, and as a result, whether they choose to follow God uh, or not, are image bearers and should be respected as such. They should be respected as such. But what happens is this. Why are we dealing with the things that we're dealing with? Is that as, as a mirror, as a reflection, being created in the likeness of God, we do not have light in and of ourselves and the things that we choose to be a part of. Remember we were talking about social media. We're going to social media and the thing that we're looking for oftentimes especially kids, but I think adults do this as well, is that we're looking for, do I matter? Do I have value? Am, am, am I somebody who's worth following? Am I somebody who's worth dating? Am I somebody who, who has good things to say? And what's happening there is instead of us reflecting the glory of God, we're looking for glory in and of ourselves. And what happens is this, is that we have no reflection in and of ourselves. We, we have nothing to, uh, to reveal. We have nothing to show. And what happens is this, as, as, as poor as this illustration is, is that this mirror does not work when reflecting itself. This mirror does not operate on that. This mirror can only operate when it's reflecting its creator. It can only operate, it can only reflect true glory and true dignity and true value when it's reflecting the true and the living God, the creator God. This is why the things in your life don't satisfy if I just had a little bit more money and then you get the raise and then it's still not enough money. If I just had a different spouse and then you get a different spouse and it's still not enough. If I just had this, if I just had that, this is, these are glory-seeking measures. We're seeking glory all the time. This is why when you overemphasize your work and you work too hard, what's happening there is, is that you're, you're constantly looking for your glory in this reflection of your work. You're trying to reflect your work. And what's happening is this, is the mirror is not working. As an image bearer who's been created to reflect the glory of God, as an image bearer who's been, who's been created and the, the likeness of God to represent him, you're not representing him rightly. And this is why we have problems in our world. This is why it's, it's not enough. And we, we can begin to think, you know what? It's that other race. 
It's their problem that I'm not experiencing true joy and value. It's, it's, their, it's their, their issue that I, that, I, that I don't feel fulfilled. And really, it's just a glory problem. It's a problem that says that I, I need something else. I need someone else to make me feel glorious. But they're not doing it. And so they should not be here. They should not be a part of this. This is what happens. We incorrectly are reflecting the world around us. We try to be a reflection of ourselves. We try to represent other people. And ultimately what takes place is that we have no dignity, worth, and value in and of ourselves. So we'll seek to find it somewhere else or we'll seek to just end our life or we'll just live in misery because of this. Because of being created in the image of God. Because we've been created in the image of God and sin has distorted that image. Now what's happening? Our world doesn't work. It doesn't function the way that it should. See, Christians are supposed to be people who have understood one thing. that As an image bearer, I need God's help to become what he has called me to be, to reflect him, to represent him. Do you realize that? See, Christianity isn't put in your life. Jesus didn't come so that you could come to a place where you're like, you know what, life is kind of miserable right now. I don't have the things that I want. Things are not going the way that I want them to. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to seek to fulfill that in any way possible. That's, that's, that's not what it's about. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ means taking on a new image. Seeing the mirror fixed in our life. Having this funhouse mirror effect corrected in our life. And if that does not get corrected, you're still living, even as a Christian, as a carnal Christian, still dealing with all of that stuff. You're a victim of the world as you're victimized over and over again by the anger and the hatred that's taking place. You're a victim of the God of this world. That is Satan himself. You're a victim of him as you are right and left encouraged to try to reflect something else, to, write, to try to reflect something different. And so what's taking place is that we're persisting in this, this broken this broken image. And the truth is we reject it because we don't trust God. We don't trust him. We don't trust that he's really the creator. See, we're walking through Genesis so that we can see something. And I believe that this is what God is saying to Israel just the same. See, the book of Genesis is written to Israel, a particular people, a, in a particular place, in a particular time, who are struggling with particular things. But they're not really all that uncommon from what we're dealing with. See, they're thinking that they should just pick up the creation stories from all of these other cultures that are around them. They're thinking that they should, you know what, I need to serve the God of 
whatever fertility in order to have a baby. Or I need to serve the God of the sky so that it'll rain and I can have crops. Or I need to serve, and I need to serve, and I need to serve. And we keep placing God after God after God in our life. We keep adding all of these other gods. And if you look at the whole creation story, one of the most incredible things about this is that it's confronting all of these gods. It's confronting each one of them. In fact, I have a little... Uh, quote here. This is from Kent Hughes. He says, each day of creation attacks one of the gods in the pagan pantheons of the day and declares that they are not gods at all. On day one, the gods of light and darkness are dismissed. On day two, the gods of sky and sea. On day three, the earth gods and gods of vegetation. On day four, the sun, the moon, and star gods. Days five and six dispense with the ideas of divinity within the animal kingdom. Finally, it's made clear that humans and humanity are not divine, while also teaching that all from the greatest to the least are made in the image of God. Do you see what's happening here? Is that it's dispelling the rumor that all of these things are a God. Do you realize that social media can be a God to you? As you look for reflection, As you look for, I want to represent this. I want to follow this person. I want to be a representative of them as I dress like them, as I do like them, as I live like them. There's never been any more ability to find people to follow and to reflect. Did you know that the image of God is is antithetical to that? It is the opposite of that? Did you know that? That's what's going on here is that God is dispelling these rumors and he's saying you can't serve the earth God and the sun God and the animal gods and all of these things. You must serve the true and the living God because I am the one who has delegated responsibility to you as someone who possesses dominion over my created world. I have given you a role and a responsibility. I am the one who gives purpose and matter into your life. It is not your work. It is not sex. It is not your race. It is not your political party. It is not fill in the blank with whatever it is. It is not any, I am the one who gives purpose in your life. Do you sense that purpose or are you still looking for a reflection of something that is not a true and living God. Do you sense it? We reject it because we want to serve these other gods. We don't trust this God. How do we apply it? It says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What's it saying? And there's other scriptures that we could bring in that we don't have time for, but Jesus is the most human of all men. He's the, one, he's the best human being who is also God. He's the representation of God. He is the one that we are to follow. 
See, the image of God, to image God, is to lift him up as holy, to see him in all of his holiness, to be convicted about my lack of holiness. And then, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to put, what's the new self? It's the image of God. It's the restoration. See that word likeness? The likeness of God. We're to put this on. Now, I don't know if you could imagine me in a, a full-on spandex bodysuit, right? I don't know, I don't know if that's, if that's, a, if that's a, a picture that anybody wants to, wants to see right now. But if you can imagine for a second, like, when you're talking about putting something on, I read that, and I, and I thought of this idea of, like, me, just like with my, my boots on. Have you seen my boots? I've got holes in them right there. I've been wearing the same boots for, like, 10, 15 years. Like, I love these boots. These have worn out. They're out of production now. They're fantastic. But you know what happens is that if I were to try to put on some spandex over these boots, it's just like, it, it, just, it just gets caught on there. It's not a pretty picture. I'm trying to put this thing on, and I'm not putting it on. And here's the thing, that you and I are trying to put on this, this new self, and our stuff is getting in the way. We're saying, I don't want to dispense of the idea that I am ultimately in charge, that I ultimately hold dominion, that I'm not here taking on God's dominion. I'm uh, going along with the idea that I'm the one who's in charge that I'm the one who delegates, that I'm the one who's getting things done. But here's the thing, is that in order for me to put on the new self and to be created in the likeness of God in the form of Jesus Christ, stuff has got to be given up. See, what happens is that when you put on the new self, old stuff has got to come off. Old stuff has got to be dispensed with. Old stuff has got to be released. See, you can't just take something out of your life and not put anything back. That's just, that just leaves you empty. See, God isn't telling you through a list of rules to just give up all of the things that you love and replace it with nothing. No, he's saying take something that is an insignificant image. It's an image of you. It's an image of your world. You're imaging something that is insignificant. Your reflection is not reflecting who I am, my glory. What, he, what he's saying is he's, he's saying that we must remove, to put off everything that's entangling us, to put off these things and to replace it with the new self. To replace it with the new self in the context of parenting. It's putting off the old self of selfishness and anger and frustration. And it's putting on the new self of patience. It's putting on the, the new self of, of love with my kids. In the context of your marriage, it's taking off the old self. And, and instead of coming to my spouse and saying, you must be a reflection of me and demanding that they, that they serve as an image bearer of you. And so you drive them towards perfection, and you say, you must represent me. You must be in my likeness. Instead of that, 
You come to them and you say, I'm a reflection of the grace of God, in fact. And so what I reflect, and when I reflect it best, I'm reflecting the grace of God to my spouse. And so I no longer have to hold them to this level of perfection that I've tried to hold them to. In the context of our relationships, in the midst of the things that we do and the people that we are, instead of coming to our friends and to our neighbors and to our world and with our hand out and saying, would you make me feel significant? Would you cause me to feel better about myself? We get to come to the world and say, I'm already reflecting the king of kings. I've put on the new self. We wouldn't say that to them. They'd be a little weird, but say, I, I've put on the new self. And so I don't have to come to my world, to my relationships, to my friends, and say, would you please give me glory that will never satisfy you? Will you we don't have to come to them and say, will you give me glory so that I can feel better about myself. We can go to our friends, to our neighbors, to our city, and we can say, we're not here to get from you or to receive from you. We are here to offer a reflection of what this God is like. We are here to offer who he is. We're here to offer Jesus. And why would you want to do that? Jesus put off his self and put on our image in order for us to be able to be with him forever. He put off everything that he was owed, everything that he deserved. His dignity, his worth, his value was diminished when he came to earth in his incarnation, when he became man as a baby. He, put, he set all of that aside so that you could have all of his dignity, worth, and value. He came to show you what it was like to be truly human. And then he completely sacrificed himself on the cross. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, that if you do not get this, if you do not understand this, you're going to miss it. And that is that Jesus going to the cross is everything. It is the thing. If you don't receive that by faith, you cannot image God in its fullness. You cannot be an accurate representation of who he is. You can only be a representation of who you are. And yes, you are created in the image of God. You inherently have dignity, worth, and value. But you will be a broken image of who he is. Do you want to reflect the true and the living God? You must look to the gospel and see how God chose to reflect you so that you could finally reflect him. Do you want that? The image of God is so incredibly important for us to believe and to know and to understand. And so I want to encourage us to dive deeply into this. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about work and rest and marriage, and all of this stuff, and it's all foundational. It's, it's, it's all on the foundation of this idea of being created in the image of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would awaken our hearts to what you've truly given us as image bearers. Lord, I pray that we would enter into the truth 
of your gospel so that we can truly reflect who you are. God, there's so many different ways that we go on through life and, 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 and live in such ways that are, that are just so distorted as to who you are. Lord, help us to grow in holiness and righteousness, Lord, that we would put on who you are, that we'd put on your life.